Right now, COVID-19 is on the rise again, and we're facing a new wave of the pandemic. After almost 200,000 COVID-related deaths, there are still around 4 million adults in the UK who remain unvaccinated. I want to know why, and if anything can change their minds. We've been lied to. It feels like I don't need it. Our voices are not being heard. So I have invited seven unvaccinated strangers to share a house. To discuss the issues. Is this an approved drug, completely approved and not under emergency protocol? Hold on. And their views. It is so irrelevant what you're saying right now. Why can we never get through a discussion? Together, we'll examine the latest science. What are the pharmaceutical companies getting out of this, you know? And meet the experts. The vaccine could reduce the risk of stillbirth. Because at the end of it all, I'm going to ask if any of them will get the vaccine. I'm going to be very honest, I am not convinced. It's a lot of food for thought there. I'm Professor Hannah Fry. I'm a mathematician and I worked on the data and the models that the government used to bring us out of that first lockdown. To find out what the nation thinks today, we have commissioned the largest UK-wide survey since the vaccine rollout. It suggests that 27% of adults are unlikely to want any more COVID vaccines. A year and a half after the vaccine rollout began, after the biggest immunisation campaign in history, what will it take for the unvaccinated to have their first injection? We're at a vaccine centre and I have to ask, will you get vaccinated? everybody, welcome to episode 31 of Life and Life Only, and this is Unvaccinated and the Propaganda of Presumption, and that's a phrase that was used a few months ago on this program when I did the Propaganda in the Covid Era podcast with Julian Charles. I will elaborate on that as we go. Thanks for some of the messages regarding the last episode on um, Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. This episode is going to be quite different, although certainly not a million miles away in terms of the use of language and the whole uh, deception idea. This episode is slightly different from most of the other ones in that I didn't plan it very far in advance. What happened was a couple of days ago I was alerted to the fact that the BBC had made a documentary called Unvaccinated and I feared the worst but I was willing to go into it with an open mind. I found it online skimmed through it and then I watched an interview with a couple of the people who were featured in it. Essentially it was a Big Brother style premise. They took seven people plus a presenter and there were five days in which they would uh, discuss vaccines and see a series of experts. And as soon as I started watching it I was immediately tripped back to a couple of programs that the BBC made around 2011-2012 One was called 9-11 Conspiracy Road Trip. The other one was called 7-7 Conspiracy Road Trip. In that case, they brought a bunch of people who didn't follow the party line regarding those two terrorist attacks. And this time they were on a coach. 
The presenter of that one, uh, a.k.a. the voice of reason, I suppose, was Andrew Maxwell, and I thought he did uh, quite a terrible job, although presumably it was quite heavily scripted, as I imagine this one was as well. The presenter here did a better job, and I thought overall these documentaries were marginally better. But I think that's actually a sign of the times in that I think the BBC realised they can't get away with the kind of blatant propaganda that was found in those road trip programmes and also in the Conspiracy Files series, which was just laughably biased. You know, they had most of the quote-unquote conspiracy theorists in dark rooms while the um, advocates of the mainstream version of things were generally in open spaces. As you'll hear later, that wasn't the case here. But uh, I will get to that. Before we start, if you're new to this podcast and some allergic reaction may have come over you at the idea of questioning 9-11-7-7 or vaccinations, I want to make it clear I wouldn't class myself as a 9-11 truther or a 7-7 truther or indeed an anti-vax truther. You could call it sitting on the fence if you like. I would call it a reasonably intelligent conclusion that there are a lot of doubts involved with... um, a lot of these big events. I tend to look at both sides and try to form an opinion. In the case of vaccines, I've said this on the show before, but medical data and uh, scientific subjects are not generally my forte. I have um, attempted to do research on vaccinations and other issues regarding COVID-19, but uh, I'm going to play to my strengths today, uh, which is basically psychology and um, propaganda, especially media propaganda, or the detection of it. And in this documentary, as with those ones I've mentioned before, there is very overt propaganda and there are more subtle things. Before we start, I wanted to say that I think if you have the time or the inclination, it would be a good idea to watch the documentary before you listen to this podcast. But, you know, I'm aware that a lot of people may be on trains or in the gym and it's... um, I'll say once again, it's incredibly flattering the idea that people would be listening to me and uh, on my various shows while going about their day. I never take it for granted. Also, um, if you're of a certain inclination and a certain um, suspicion of the BBC, which I think is fairly well founded in this case, uh, you may not want to watch the documentary. And that's fair enough, because I'm actually going to go through it in a fairly detailed way. I'm not going to go through everything in it, but I've got a lot here. So I'm going to sort of take you step by step. So, of course, I leave that up to you. But I've put the documentary in the show notes. I'll also put in the show notes the Guardian's review. <laughs> and, of course, the Guardian, not surprisingly, decided that their review would focus on how patient the presenter was with dealing with these seven... Uh, they didn't mention the word lunatics, but that's the imp- implication. These seven people. And the whole premise of this documentary, and it's made very clear from the beginning is that rather than it being a 50-50 debate, it's essentially about taking seven people who haven't been vaccinated and over five days gradually working on them and seeing if we can change their mind and get them to see reason. Now, since the documentary came out, which is quite recently, there has been a backlash in the alternative media, perhaps um, not surprisingly, and uh, a BBC spokesman was moved to issue the following... This one-hour documentary accurately represents the views expressed during filming and adheres to the BBC's strict editorial guidelines, especially with regards to accuracy and fairness. Now, there is a little callback here to Yes Minister because they actually they talk about being very vague about things and uh, using terms like according to a spokesman or a government spokesman said 
or a source close to the matter or you know something along those lines so straight away you know you're getting that and of course the, the BBC is a corporation let's not forget and of course recently I did cover the corporation with Luke Thompson it's gone out on video as I'm recording this here on the 25th of July it will be in the audio feed eventually but um, some of you may have already seen that and um, in the corporation documentary they came to the view that a corporation basically has all the traits as a legal entity has all the traits of a psychopath of course it's laughable for me to suggest the presenter of this documentary is a psychopath or indeed any of the people involved in it really but that um, quote from the spokesman it's more like a, a corporation with an enormous ego who will not allow themselves to even suggest that anything that they're presenting here is not what was it accurately presenting the views expressed during filming of course this documentary was shot over five days so a one-hour documentary is obviously just a snapshot of what happened but um, what we'll find is that of the seven I don't know housemates candidates whatever you want to call them anti-vaxxers <laughs> saying that with irony two of them have been on uh, various alternative media shows and they've talked about how the editing was selective and uh, that's not a bad thing per se because obviously you have to select parts to edit but as far as they're concerned and I don't have any real reason to doubt them the documentary was edited to fit the BBC's position and again this is a deja vu for me because 10 years ago when I watched the 9-11 conspiracy road trip and I was much more of an active activist at that time. Now I'd call myself a, a podcaster who tries to spread um, information of a reasonably uh, intelligent variety through uh, you know the various channels I've got. The podcast, uh, also my teaching, my life coaching and a meetup group I've got in my town here. But uh, with that 9-11 program, again I listened to a radio show soon after with someone who was in it talking about how things have been taken out of context and the editing was very selective. Anyway, we should probably get cracking. So the presenter of this program is Professor Hannah Fry, who is a mathematician. Now, one thing you need to know about Hannah Fry is that she got cervical cancer very recently and recovered from it. And let me say, I'm very happy that she recovered from it and I sympathise with the fact that she's gone through that. But... Um, she talks during the documentary about biases and about how our, our experiences affect our judgments and our decisions. And I don't believe in pure objectivity at all. I think we all have these biases and I think it's healthy for yourself and for everyone to admit that. But um, Hannah Fry, right from the beginning, we don't know whether she's working from a script entirely, partly, who knows. But uh, she's got a job at the BBC and... Um, and imagine then that she's a fairly safe pair of hands. You know, I don't know if she's as bad as someone like Jeremy Vine, who I just find odious and bland and annoying and um, perfect for, a, you know, a steady mainstream job, basically. But some questions come up. She says at the beginning, you know, she believes in vaccinations. She doesn't describe herself as pro-vaccine, doesn't want to tag herself with that label. But the anti-vax label, although it's actually used sparingly in this documentary, I'll give them that is, of course, thrown around a lot in uh, our society and in the global conversation. But the question arises, why is Professor Fry so sure that vaccines are safe? She gives the impression of being open-minded. She constantly reiterates, I want to hear the arguments. But it's also very clear, as I've said, that she is on a mission as a presenter here to basically try and persuade these people to see reason. And this is the propaganda of presumption. 
propaganda is about deception, basically, but it's also about persuasion. And the propaganda of presumption means that basically there is there's no question about certain things and that we can argue the nuances. But it's absolutely slam dunk, to use Hannah's words that she uses later, that vaccines are safe, according to this documentary. And it's just her job to use her skills of persuasion and her charm to try to get these people to see reason. Another thing that comes across in general from the documentary is that it, as I've said, this, the editing is selective, but there's a, there's a fast pace. Everything is done in sound bites. Nothing is really very well developed. It's a highlights reel of five days, which could well have been quite interesting. I would like to talk to um, one of the participants. In fact, one of them lives just down the road from me. I'm tempted to try and seek him out. But on the other hand, I'm not sure how much more I want to uh, be involved in this documentary beyond doing this podcast, I'll be honest. I'd rather put out what I'm putting out now and um, let you, dear listeners, do the rest. So we have seven participants and we have no idea how they were chosen. We don't know if they sent in audition tapes a la Big Brother. You know, there are a couple of minorities here. I don't know if that's tokenism or not. It's not really for me to say. I try not to guess too much. I want to concentrate today as I'm recording this on what is fairly clear to me about uh, what's happening here. But um, the two ladies that I've seen interviewed since, Vicky and Nazarene, they are essentially portrayed through the presenter's attitude to them, however friendly she may sound, and the editing, to be basically the voices of unreason and very rigid in their beliefs. There is another lady called uh, Chanel, who uh, is pregnant and actually got COVID while she was pregnant. She seems a very nice person, but uh, she makes a quite a bizarre statement at some point to Vicky and Nazarene that they don't seem very happy, and she kind of she wants everyone to be happy. That is an interesting point because uh, Vicky and Nazarene uh, are also portrayed from the mainstream perspective. And I can still remember the person I was 15, 20 years ago when all I knew was mainstream output, that it's very easy to make someone look like a party pooper. And that's what it is because when people are going on a five-day trip together, they're generally going to be nice and they're generally going to be upbeat because who wants to spend five days with strangers and just be miserable the whole time? So it's all about framing, really. And in, in my life coaching, I talk about how you can reframe your life in a more positive way, but it can also be used for nefarious purposes as well. And I'd argue that that's what's happening here. So they are... Chanel actually kind of has a go at Vicky a couple of times in a fairly polite way and kind of mocks her for her rebellious stance. But overall, I'd tell you that Chanel is a lovely person. There's a young man called Luca who is constantly associated with his social media posts and his Facebook and Twitter views. And he, he talks about 5G towers and he talks about he thinks that there's microchips in the vaccines. And um, to pick those apart, there is a microchip agenda. And if you look at what's happening recently in Sweden, people are putting microchips under their skins quite willingly. And that was something that uh, quote unquote conspiracy theorists were talking about in 2008, 2009. I think there's an issue with 5G, but you're talking about here 20 seconds and they've mentioned 5G and microchips. And to actually do those topics justice, you need, you know, a very, very extensive research and debate. You know, it needs a long time. And just to throw those out there, it's obviously, again, playing into the idea in the mainstream that David Icke said 5G is connected with COVID. I have no idea whether he actually said that. I don't know. But um, 
as I said, everything goes too quickly here. It's all very flippant. It's all very superficial. Of the other people, one of them, unfortunately, seems to be entirely mute until the end of the documentary. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, he wasn't completely silent for the five days. So uh, the other two um, people who I, I will mention by name when, when we get there, they are kind of on the fence. They're cautious. One thing that uh, I will give this documentary credit is, uh, as I was saying earlier, the Conspiracy Files one from about 15 years ago. They, they always had the conspiracy theorists in dark rooms with vaguely spooky music going on. But they actually show Nazarene protesting uh, out in the street, out in the open. It's a rather unfortunate shot, but they show her protesting with a big smile on her face. You know, I don't know if Nazarene goes around protesting with a big smile on her face. Obviously, I don't really see the point of protesting with a huge frown on your face. But um, like I say, at least they showed that. And uh, I think, like I said, the BBC has realised they can't get away with being as blatant, I think I've said this earlier, haven't I, but being as blatant as they used to be. So we've got Vicky and Nazarene. Vicky is the the more extrovert, let's say, or the more she comes across as quite militant, and I'm not using that in a negative way, I'm using that as a neutral term. Nazarene is calmer, so Vicky is, I suppose, portrayed as almost the villain of the piece. But it's interesting that Vicky actually says to Hannah Fry, maybe your mind might change. And uh, I'll give them credit for leaving that in the documentary. They could have easily cut that out. I don't remember her response. I, I watched this documentary once and made notes. And unfortunately, my dear listeners, I can't face going back and watching it all again. But uh, I'm sure that the stuff I wrote down, the really important stuff, is accurate. Vicky states that she's proud of not following restrictions. Again, you know, this is a snapshot of five days and... I'm sure they selected that because they wanted to give the idea that she's rebellious and proud. You know, when I had um, Ricky Green on the podcast, episode 20, I mean, he's still a young fellow. I think he's in his 20s. And he was talking about growing out of conspiracy theories. And that was a thing he did when he was a student or something like that. So that's another idea that's very popular in the mainstream, that conspiracy theorists are people with bad attachments who are uh, or haven't grown out of teenage rebellion. And... Um, as with everything, there probably are examples of that. And I think I've met examples of that. But when I used to work with activists and truthers, whatever you want to call them, I found the majority of them extremely reasonable. The typical conspiracy theorist is, from my observations, a man minority. And, you know, Ricky and Karen Douglas and their wonderful research about how conspiracy theories are people with insecure attachments. I'm sure there's examples of that, like I say. But um, it's just all too easy and it's just too blanket you know it's just too general we get footage of anti-vax protesters and of course they mentioned polio and cholera and again it's this idea that if you are anti-vax you're somehow denying that vaccinations helped with polio and cholera i mean it's just ridiculous it's just so condescending for one that there are only these two options this documentary is fairly full of stats and experts quoting stats and Hannah Fry quoting stats and one of the ones that just I found quite mind-blowing Hannah Fry says that the World Health Organization lists vaccine hesitancy as one of the top 10 threats to global health I mean if that isn't biased I don't know what is so questioning vaccines gets you on the top 10 list of threats to global health now just let that one sit and um, try and think about the implications of that statement so we get a psychologist called Clarissa. Hannah says to her, what did we get wrong that so many people still don't want to get vaccinated? 
And then she says to Clarissa, have I set myself up for a fall? So again, it's all framed. You know, I don't know what Hannah expects is going to happen now. Uh, the seven lunatics going to decide to lynch her on the fifth day. Who knows? Maybe Clarissa and some of the other experts will come in and save her. Before I go any further, I wanted to talk um, just briefly, or not in fact talk, but show you a clip which um, goes back quite nicely to the previous episode about Yes Minister. I'm going to play you a clip about opinion polls because Hannah mentions them at this point in the documentary and uh, a bit later on as well. So um, just have a listen to this clip and uh, see how you feel about opinion polls. But that silly grand design? Bernard, that was precisely what you had to avoid. How did this come about? I shall need a very good explanation. Well, he's very keen on it. What's that got to do with it? (laughs) Things don't happen just because prime ministers are very keen on them. Neville Chamberlain was very keen on peace. (laughs) He thinks thinks it's a vote winner. What makes him think that? Well, the party who had an opinion poll done, it seems all the voters are in favour of bringing back national service. We'll have another opinion poll done showing the voters are against bringing back national service. <laughs> we can't be for it and oh, against Of course they can, Bernard. Have you ever been surveyed? Yes. Well, not me, actually. My house. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> well, Bernard, you know what happens. Nice young lady comes up to you. Obviously, you want to create a good impression. You don't want to look a fool, do you? <laughs> no. No. So she starts asking you some questions. Mr. Woolley, are you worried about the number of young people without jobs? Yes. Are you worried about the rise in crime among teenagers? Yes. Do you think there's a lack of discipline in our comprehensive schools? Yes. Do you think young people welcome some authority and leadership in their lives? Yes. Do you think they respond to a challenge? Yes. Would you be in favour of reintroducing national service? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I suppose I might. Yes or no? Yes. Of course you would, Bernard. After all you've told you, you can't say no to that. <laughs> so, they don't mention the first five questions and they publish the last one. Is that really what they do? Well, not the reputable ones, no, but there aren't many of those. <laughs> so, alternatively, the young lady can get the opposite result. How? Mr. Woolley, are you worried about the danger of war? Yes. Are you worried about the growth of armaments? Yes. Do you think there's a danger in giving young people guns and teaching them how to kill? Yes. Do you think it's wrong to force people to take up arms against their will? Yes. Would you oppose the reintroduction of national service? Yes. (laughs) There you are, you see, Bernard. The perfect balanced sample. (laughs) So, we just commission our own survey for the Ministry of Defence. See to it, Bernard. I hope you enjoyed that, saying that with some irony. I'm not... (laughs) anti-stats to invent a new term hannah fry would be aghast if she discovered people were anti-stats but uh, at least question opinion polls hannah mentions the nocebo effect which is um, a fairly recent phenomenon it's obviously related to the placebo effect but it's when a person is conditioned to expect a negative response or to anticipate negative effects from an experience and i think there's a little implication here that Vicky and Nazarene, the two party poopers, they're here to stop brave Hannah convincing them through reason that they're wrong and she's right. Vicky interrupts and Hannah does this whole thing, oh, oh, calm down, calm down. She takes pains to say, I'm not trying to catch you out. And um, I'd like to just recommend a book called Games People Play by Eric Byrne. And it's about um, a branch of psychology called Transactional Analysis. And Hannah is essentially playing the... uh, the modern liberal parent to Vicky's child, I would say, there. It's all like, I'm not trying to catch you out, you know, don't be paranoid. I want to have these discussions. And um, 
as I said earlier, you know, how much of that is scripted? Who knows? How much of that is Hannah's real opinions? Who knows? Let's move on anyway. So Chanel, um, I was talking about earlier, said she mocks Vicky as a, as a rebel who doesn't want to hear other sides of the story. It's all very friendly and, uh, you know, I don't think there's anything sinister in it. They do talk about Vicky's uh, CBD business and uh, some of her personal experiences. Nazarene shows Hannah a Pfizer document with nine pages of adverse reactions. Hannah defends it, saying that adverse reactions may not be directly related to the vaccine. And then she tells a story about uh, some bizarre story about a little boy. It's not a real story, but it's a scenario where a little boy is having a fit and supposedly it comes after he's been vaccinated. But what actually happened was that just as he was about to be vaccinated, the phone rang or a bit vague on the details, but it was something like that. And um, that was supposed to prove that. Uh, I don't know what exactly that was trying to prove. If someone could tell me, that'd be great. But uh, yeah, the phone rings just before they have the vaccine. So it's presumed that he's having a fit because he's had the vaccine. We then get a GP called Aurora from the British Medical Association. There's a young man called Ethan. He's read things on social media. He's worried about fertility. He says, in the in the future, I want to have children. And um, Aurora reassures him that COVID causes lack of fertility, not the vaccine. Again, not developed. You know, it's just uh, everything in here is just very quick. It's just a couple of sentences of reassurance, and then we move on. Nazarene talks about a friend of hers who had a seizure and a heart attack. And uh, since discovered through an interview that Nazarene's done since that she said there's actually three people she knows and um, they only talked about one of them uh, which does change it because you know one person Hannah's argument is that oh it's one person you know uh, I sympathize with you but it could be just a coincidence Hannah says how can you be sure it's the vaccine Nazarene says she was fine before Hannah says something along the lines of uh, I'm not trying to persuade her they point out at some point that Nazarene is the, the youngest of the group. Again, I don't know if, how relevant that is. I mean, she may be one year younger than the next two youngest. But again, it's, it's just vaguely patronising. The fact that the youngest person is an activist, again, it may give very subtle ideas that, you know, activism is for young people until they grow out of it. So I suppose somebody like uh, Martin Luther King or uh, Nina Simone or someone like that or someone fighting for civil rights uh, it was an emotionally immature person with un insecure attachments ricky martin luther king unfortunately didn't have time to grow out of it because he was assassinated hannah occasionally says things which i agree with but she says them in a particular context that i definitely don't agree with hannah says humans are affected by stories but statistics exist for us to step out of our emotional engagement and be objective i think that's a slight paraphrase but that's basically what she says humans are affected by stories absolutely so, uh, Hannah, what do you think the BBC does every day in uh, their news coverage? They serve up news stories. Not saying it's all bullshit, just saying that, yes, humans are affected by stories. Everyone, including you, Hannah, you're affected by stories. You're affected by the fact that you recovered from your cancer, which, again, I'm very happy that you did. But you are not objective either. You may have... Uh, a faith in medicine. We've had a little example of that recently. Uh, this was a few months ago, of course, the whole Joe Rogan thing. And Neil Young speaking out against uh, Rogan's apparent anti-vax statements. Neil Young had polio as a child. I'm not saying Mr. Young didn't do any research. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But you can't rule out the fact that he would have a certain bias. Of course, was that in the news? Absolutely not. Hannah reveals that myocarditis is by far 
the biggest possible side effect of taking the vaccine. So we get this scene which... Uh, this has already become infamous in the alternative media anyway. This uh, Hannah's wonderful idea of jelly bean roulette. So she takes 20 jelly beans. One of them is bad. I think it's Chanel gets the bad one. And uh, Hannah says, so that was one jelly bean, one bad jelly bean out of 20. The chance of you getting myocarditis is one in 33,000. And she then produces sacks and sacks, 33,000 jelly beans to uh, illustrate this point. Again, I'll leave it up to you to draw your own conclusions, but why did they fork out for 33,000 jelly beans? Why not just give them the number? But it's obviously, you know, it's a, it's a massively condescending attempt to demonstrate that by showing them an incredible number of jelly beans. Uh, again, there's a little bit of a callback here to the 9-11 road trip where they used Lego to represent uh, the World Trade Center falling. So all those people dying in the World Trade Center and it collapsing into dust can be explained by a little bit of Lego. As you can see, the BBC, while they may have slightly opened their minds, they're still using the same old tactics. It's very, very childish and very condescending. There's a second voiceover, which is this bizarre voice that just comes in, just says a few words and then disappears. And, it says, and so the voiceover says, they stare at the beans. Hannah has got a very nice voice and a very nice way about her. She's a very charming woman. Why they had this second voiceover, it doesn't make any sense. Vicky walks out when the jelly beans come out. Now, you can argue whether she should have walked out, whether that's not giving the right message. I think she was just... She's a very passionate person. She's sort of portrayed as emotional, and that's kind of emotional in a negative sense, almost like over-emotional as a kind of opposite of rational. But I think she's passionate about this. So she walks out, she says, oh, you know, I'm not, you know, you can't reduce such an important topic to jelly beans. And I pretty much agree with her. Hannah makes the point about Nazarene that she's more likely to be tapped into stories of people because of the activist community she's in. And again, you know, there may be some truth to that. You know, if you are around activists, you're probably going to hear more stories. That is true of people who've been negatively affected by the vaccine, because it's quite likely that People who know people who've been negatively affected or have been affected themselves are quite likely to join activist groups and be involved in that. I take the point. But you could turn that around and say, well, is Hannah Fry more likely to be tapped into the mainstream version of things by the fact that she works for the bloody BBC and she's constantly in the BBC environment and she's in the mainstream media environment? If she suddenly had doubts about the vaccine, if one of her friends was ill, do you really think she's going to be welcomed in the same way but in the BBC office? You know, they might sympathise, but if she suddenly had some kind of realisation and thought, oh my God, you know, maybe the vaccine is not as safe as I think it is, do you really think she's going to keep her job? Hmm, very, very questionable. They then move on to the issue of the fast rollout of the vaccines and the lack of research and again they come up with some stats of the number of people who have doubts and i'd be a hypocrite if i said that we can take those stats as read and not take the other ones uh you know referencing back to the clip of yes minister i played you earlier so i'm going to say that any stats are questionable frankly five of the seven uh should i say housemates maybe not they go on separate trips to i think it's to bristol and london to talk to some more experts about um doubts that they have vicky and nazarene decide not to go on this trip again should they have gone shouldn't they have gone you know we weren't there with them for those five days we don't know how exasperated they were you know you see a bit of that on the documentary but we're never going to get the full we're never going to know the full story of that 
Hannah makes the point that they're too entrenched in their beliefs. Maybe I look in the mirror there, Hannah. We go back to Luca and again, posting on social media. He mentions the depopulation agenda, which uh, I confess I've never really investigated. But again, that can't just be mentioned in isolation. If you're going to mention it in that way, I, I believe you shouldn't mention it. You've got to either explore it or not mention it. And then there's a, a bit that um, I wasn't the only one that picked up on this. A friend of mine uh, also mentioned it. This is the kind of thing that someone who believes in this documentary would say you're just being paranoid. But uh, they put in the delightful detail, Luca lives on his own in Tunbridge Wells. And to me, that is a clear piece of propaganda because it's buying into the idea that conspiracy theories are these kind of loners. So you could probably form the image of Luca at home alone in his flat, you know, watching Alex Jones documentaries and 9-11 documentaries and then running to social media and posting on it. So, you know, it's subtle, but there's a reason it's in there. There's no way that that's just an accident. Our voiceover friend, let's call it voiceover two, says, he walks in unmasked. So Luca doesn't want to wear a mask. Hannah's surprised by this. Luca says he's got an exemption. We then meet Professor Adam Finn, who's a vaccine expert. He says that vaccines are there to stop you getting ill. They're not good at preventing the passing on of the virus. So there are little admissions in this documentary. I'm not as disgusted by it as a few people I've seen on alternative media. He explains what antibodies are, proteins made by white blood cells, and shows that antibodies are formed by the vaccine. And um, again, if there's anyone who's got more knowledge of this, please um, send me an e- email, lifeandlifeonlypod at gmail.com, or put a comment in the comments section uh, if you're watching the YouTube version of this, or listening to it, I should say. Now, <laughs> what they don't mention is that... Um, Adam Finn is the director of Pfizer's Vaccine Centre of Excellence, which apparently has been the subject of, in pounds, it would be 4.6 million investment. Luca brings up Big Pharma, and Adam Finn says something quite curious in view of the fact that he's involved with Pfizer. He says AstraZeneca have sold the vaccines cheap, while Pfizer and Moderna in the USA have cashed in, which is quite an admission, and it sort of goes by in the documentary and uh, he is essentially admitting that big pharma are cashing in on this and then he makes an interesting statement as well we've all decided that capitalism is the way we want to go capitalism is one of those tricky things because a lot of people would say that the negative part of capitalism is crony capitalism which is basically you know elites scratching each other's backs and um you know the links between uh, government and big business and all that kind of thing because capitalism could be you know one person with a corner shop so i get that that view as well but um, again i refer you back to the um, the video we made of the corporation and um depending on when you're listening to this now the audio version may be out but i really would recommend because luke thompson and i were very happy with the way that went as well we felt we got the information out in a fairly good way while um adding humor to it as well so um i would urge you to um watch or listen to that So yeah, capitalism is the way to go. Obviously, the West has chosen capitalism. And usually people who are against it, anti-caps, there you go, have just come up with a new tag. Aren't I clever? Of course, they will then be tagged with the idea that, oh, do you prefer socialism, do you? Do you prefer communism, millions dead in the 20th century? Fascism, millions dead in the 20th century? Again, it's all very simple, simplistic. Uh, Apparently, capitalism is the way to go quite tempted to send uh, Professor Finn uh, the corporation <laughs> after they've seen uh, Mr Finn Professor Finn, Hannah's sister Luca does that clear stuff up for you 
Lucas says, yes, but I still won't have the vaccine. Voiceover man says, on a minibus. I don't know if I've abbreviated that because I'm reading my notes here, but uh, yes, it's uh, quite bizarre. While the others were seeing Professor Finn, Chanel, who's the lady who's pregnant, and uh, Naomi go to St. George's Institute in London to find out about uh, fertility and the risk to fertility. Chanel is black and she talks about black women and that she comes up with her own stat that they're four times more likely to die in childbirth because they don't have a voice. Again, I can't verify or refute that stat. She got COVID while pregnant, in fact, so uh, understandably was very, very fearful. Hannah, in fact, agrees that there are, quote, appalling stats about the health care of black women in the UK. So there's a little admission from uh, Hannah and by extension from the makers of this programme, the script writers, whatever you want to call them. Of course, the experts reassure Chanel and Naomi the vaccine could prevent stillbirth by 15% if you get COVID while pregnant. Hannah is very impressed by that stat and decides to repeat it. Notice it says could prevent stillbirth by 15%. And I don't want to make light of this, but uh, I always use the example when you see an advert and they say... um, something like, I don't know, kills up to 80% of bacteria if they're talking about, I don't know, household product. I always come back with a line, well, give me your bank details and I'll transfer up to a million pounds into your account immediately. I'll let you work that one out. Chanel is not convinced. She says, oh, the vaccine was essentially a trial. Again, the expert doesn't really answer that. I think those who've listened to Life and Life Only over a period of time will know that I'm not here to have a go at individual people. It's far more to do with the system. And um, I don't think Hannah Fry is a terrible person. She's just had a child, apparently. I'm sure she's a wonderful mother. I don't doubt that for a second. However, I imagine also her child is going to grow up essentially getting the mainstream view of the world, which is what most of us grow up with. I think, you know, unless you grow up in a hippie commune or with very alternative parents, we're all subject to that indoctrination during our formative years. And my personal journey has been uh, 15 years of unlearning as well as learning. Hannah then talks about trust, and um, we get another stat. 22% of people have very little trust in the government regarding vaccines. 90% don't trust them at all. Hannah says Vicky and Nazarene are clearly in this camp. Again, Hannah makes what I would consider a true statement. It's all about trust. But then you've got the framing and the particular context that um, all of this documentary is made around this premise that vaccines are absolutely fine and there's essentially no argument oh, occasional doubts you know maybe one of your someone you know might have some side effects but generally you know it's the bill hicks line uh, you know sleep tight everybody our government is in control hannah lets uh, vicky speak this is when they all come back because uh, as i told you vicky and nazarene didn't go on this sort of road trip within a road trip hannah patronizes her about her passion again and then they have this strange conversation Vicky presses the point that are they, have these vaccines be approved? Are they as approved as paracetamol? And Hannah kind of says yes without making that statement exactly. Hannah says there are different versions of the vaccine. One is approved and one is rolled out while others are running trials. And she assures uh, Vicky that they all have to reach a certain stage before they are rolled out. Hannah further patronises Vicky and Nazarene about how the last two years have affected them badly and... I don't think she says that to their faces. I think she's saying that to the camera and that you can't have a proper rebuttal because they're, you know, they're too emotional and too passionate. And again, she makes a true statement. She talks about an ocean of misinformation and, you know, who would disagree with that? But the question is, on which side? I would say on both sides. And I'm uh, a little bit sceptical of both extremes, to be perfectly honest. 
we then uh, start talking about fact-checking and disinformation. Hannah talks about the fact that uh, apparently 12 people have spread most of the disinformation. Again, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but that's the gist. She talks about the disinformation dozen, which I'd never heard of this. I don't know if that's a group or it's just 12 random people. She shows us a bogus NHS checklist, which has been amended by an anti-vaxxer. She then makes another true statement when it's not used in a particular context. How do you distinguish facts from fiction? I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter. I mostly use Facebook and Twitter to promote my podcast. And uh, I occasionally look on there, just see if there's anything of interest. But um, there was a Twitter post that I couldn't help agreeing with a few months ago. And it was someone saying, quote, it's getting harder and harder to know what the truth is. Hannah says, yeah, it's no surprise that people no longer know who to believe. We get another stat. Over 30% of people have very little or no trust in mainstream news. Noam Chomsky has talked about the fact that there's 60 to 70% of the public that you're just never going to reach. Whatever stats you give them, the brain, which has a wonderful way of filtering out information it doesn't want to hear, will filter it out. So um, what really emerges from this is that I have a particular view that perhaps Hannah Fry would never believe some information that I might believe to be true, no matter how many facts I give her. And Hannah Fry has the impression, or the BBC have the impression, that Vicky and Nazarene and others are never going to be open enough to stats given by uh, experts. That's hand-picked experts, of course, no matter how much objectivity they're presented with. So essentially, you know, the two camps are saying the same thing, but they're just believing two opposite ideas. So we meet uh, Will from a fact-check charity. He talks about checking up on politicians. He offers his favourite fact-check, which is about golf can reduce your risk of early death and um, this is not a true stat because it doesn't take into account key factors Hannah talks about correlation versus causation and then one of the most egregious things I think in this documentary Will shows a doctored picture related to the Ukraine war being a hoax by bringing out the idea that the Ukraine war might be a hoax it's essentially blocking any idea that there's more to say about the Ukraine situation this is very hard to talk about without going into detail because again i think this deserves more attention but in a nutshell when i'm in my car i often listen to bbc radio 2 or bbc radio 4 and i enjoy it up to a point but it's maddening to hear the way that they're covering the ukraine because it's all basically framed that putin is a nutcase who uh, they don't say this but it's almost to the level of thought it might be fun to invade the Ukraine. Not fun, obviously, I'm talking about. Might be a great exercise in power. And, of course, the line came up that he's trying to recreate the Soviet empire. And, of course, that's been parroted ad nauseum. The BBC never talk about the Yemen and the fact that the Saudis have been bombing the shit out of it for years using arms sold to them by the British. I checked the BBC website a few months ago when the Ukraine thing first happened. And you, you put in Yemen and there's barely anything. You know, it's the conspiracy of silence let's call it but um the fact they just they're just chucking in the ukraine there i mean that's a piece of propaganda it's like uh you know if you take um, a very important and emotive topic like the holocaust you will have people who will question the six million figure let's say or will want to have a discussion about some of the nuances and of course then not only are they hit with a holocaust denial but uh i saw um 
I think it was a TED talk or something. Again, TED is an organisation that's just seeped in mainstream propaganda, progressive propaganda. And of course, they bring up the fact that some people deny the Second World War. Have you ever met anyone in your life who denies that the Second World War happened? But again, it says it's a sort of clumsy piece of propaganda. And Nazarene at this point says that is completely irrelevant. You know, we're not talking about a war. We're talking about vaccines. Hannah says, I'm not trying to discredit every, anything. Chanel again sort of turns on Vicky and Nazarene a little bit. There's a bizarre shot of Vicky and Nazarene comforting each other. It's, it's immediately putting them in a camp because they're comforting each other because they can't believe there are these lunatics talking about the war and Hannah and her experts can't believe how unreasonable Vicky and Nazarene. So again, it's just creating tribes. Luca mentions about the Ukraine war looking like a film and it was interesting that you know in the days after 9-11 the amount of people who said to me oh you know it looked like Independence Day they weren't saying that it was staged of course but it's um I don't really see again anything about the Ukraine war is relevant to this at all unless you're going to explore it in detail if you're just going to make flippant comments then as Nazarene said it's completely irrelevant it shouldn't be included in this. Will says that people are exaggerating the threat of vaccines my answer to that was what about the mainstream media fear-mongering which is just it's just the routine now it's incredible how it's how it's emerged over time you know i i listen to the radio i listen to basically oldies radio when i'm in the shower and occasionally at other times and every time is news it's just fear-mongering all the way and if you remember the early days of covid with the news cycle everybody moves on so quickly and things get forgotten but they were implying that millions were going to die from this and there was just massive fear-mongering from the start. And I'm not playing down COVID for a second. It's obviously had a devastating effect. But the level of effect that it's had versus the level that was suggested slash implied slash pushed by mainstream media sources at the beginning, it, there's a huge difference between the reality and what was pushed at the beginning. So Will wants to talk about exaggeration again. You know, you, he's only looking at that in, in one direction, I'm afraid. And I'd also say, you know, People have been devastated by COVID, but businesses have been devastated by lockdowns. There's no mention of lockdowns in this, but I'm going to assume that had it happened, that Hannah would have been staunchly in favour of lockdowns, as would the experts. I don't imagine that they would have questioned that at all. Will does admit that there's some risk, but uh, plays it down as these kind of isolated incidents. And uh, what I've got in my notes here, Vicky starts to question Will. And what really comes up here is the fact that most people want to believe that everyone means well and it's a very scary thing to think that your leaders might be you know psychopaths sociopaths and i mention those because there have been books written and studies done which give quite compelling evidence that psychopaths and sociopaths tend to do well in life because they don't have the empathy and they tend to be quite ruthless so there's a definitely a fear aspect to the idea that people in power might not have our best interests at heart again i go back to the corporation please listen to or watch that episode the corporation as a legal entity has been diagnosed as a psychopath that doesn't care about people we're getting towards the end here and i've done an hour which is about right i think uh an hour and a half two hours of this would be too much so i'm, I'm gonna wind down fairly quickly here towards the end of the documentary vicky and nazarene they do relent a little bit Hannah makes another true statement. We all agree that information is an enormously powerful tool. There is one uh, rather comical moment, and uh, as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, God, Anthony, are you that paranoid that you would even notice this? I want to share it with you anyway. 
There's a shot of Hannah wearing a white T-shirt under a jacket. And I think she's wearing a T-shirt that says ciao on it. C-I-A-O, which is the Italian for hello and goodbye. Quite trendy. I don't know if it's a brand or not. Uh, again, you can tell me that if you want. But it's very it's very funny that you can't see the O. So it actually looks like it looks like CIA. If you do get to the documentary, it's just at the end. Have a look at that. I don't think Hannah Fry is working for the CIA. But you never know. I don't think it's deliberate that she's wearing the chow t-shirt and that she's obscuring the O. But I just wonder whether the person editing that noticed that. So again, let me know what you think about that. Then we're on the last of the five days. It's Hannah's last attempt to get them to change their mind. They go to Lewisham Hospital. Hannah had her baby at Lewisham Hospital and Chanel is about to have her baby there. We talked to a frontline doctor, Dr. Patel. He's got a stat of 550 patients who had COVID at the time. He gives a date and surmises that it was the Omicron variant, which, as we know, is the weaker variant. Of 550 patients, 21 were admitted to intensive care. 20 of those 21 were unvaccinated. Seven of the 21 died. All of those were unvaccinated. Hannah makes a big thing of how persuasive that stat is. She talks about it being a slam dunk, wrapping it all up nicely. Now everything's a slam dunk. They have a reunion two months later to find out if these, you know, these seven immature conspiracy theorists have finally seen the light there's a nice moment it's a bit stagey but there's only six of the seven there and hannah says oh where's the other person and chanel comes in with her baby i mean that was a nice moment for me i think chanel's a nice lady she came across very well in this hannah interviews them all separately vicky says there's about a one in a billion chance that i'll get the vaccine hannah guesses that nazarene wouldn't take the vaccine and in fact none of the others agree Again, I was uh, thinking back to 9-11 road trip. Those in the alternative media will remember an individual called Charlie Veach, who was kind of a street megaphone activist. And he went on the road trip and famously changed his mind about 9-11. There was even a Hitler Reacts video, you know, those videos on YouTube, taken from the film Downfall. Um, some of them are very amusing. And there was one about Charlie Veach changing his mind. Anyway, Hannah says this is about more than information. Once again, a true statement when the context is not uh, involved. Hannah says to Nazarene, what would it take? And again, framing of, you know, is there anything that would get you to change your mind? Rather amusingly, the, what's the word, housemate, anti-vaxxer, <laughs> or let's say um, vaccine-hesitant person called Mark, who uh, apparently was mute all the way through this. Uh, it's the first time we've heard from him. Mark finally talks. He's quite open-minded. Luca is convinced that the vaccine now contains spike proteins rather than a microchip. Luca implies that he's going to be a good boy and stop posting unsubstantiated conspiracy materials on social media. Ethan, uh, Ethan makes an interesting statement. He was the guy who was talking about fertility and his concerns about it. He said something very interesting about Big Pharma. He said, um, Big Pharma supplies paracetamol when I've got a headache. So you can't pick and choose. So he's essentially making what I think is a quite outrageous statement that because paracetamol works for your headache, you are then obligated to trust Big Pharma with vaccines, which to me makes absolutely no sense. Please let me know in the comments what you think. Chanel, to her credit, although she's been treated very well by medical doctors during her childbirth, you would think perhaps that that would create some sort of bias with Hannah having just recently had her baby, you know, is there some bias there that she's very pro-medicine, quite apart from the fact she works for the BBC and she's got a very cushy number. Chanel wants to have dialogues to move forward and I can't really argue with that. 
And then we get the conclusion of the documentary. Hannah has a real sense of how complex this issue is. She's given the idea that her five-day journey, she suddenly realised how complex this issue is. And you think, well, did she think this wasn't a complex issue before these five days? I mean, that's a bizarre statement if you really look at it. And she talks about how, um, you know, we can all do better, which is a quite cryptic general statement. And um, the final bit of the documentary, quote, experts are warning that the risk of a new pandemic is higher than ever before. So again, ending with a a nice bit of fear-mongering. So engaging with the unvaccinated could be more important than ever before. And that's it, folks. That's the end of this documentary. And um, in fact, I'm not going to labour this podcast anymore. So I'm going to sign off in a minute just to say that, um, to ask a question really to myself, do I recommend watching this documentary? It's in the show notes, as I said at the beginning, if you decided to watch the documentary and then listen to me talking about it obviously that's one way of doing it if you haven't watched it you've listened to me and then you're thinking shall i watch it i'd be being dishonest if i said that you know if you watch a documentary now having listened to me that i'm not leading you to a certain conclusion because i'm although i'd like i said i put myself somewhere in the middle of the mainstream conspiracy continuum i believe you know people like me with this um the outer truth strand of this podcast and other people in the alternative media you know we're fighting against a massive machine of mainstream media output and propaganda so if i'm offering you a different view and i'm perhaps leading you then i would say take what i say with a pinch of salt i'm just offering you some opinions and some observations some of which i'm more sure of than others but the idea that this is objective i'm afraid is a joke it's a nonsense so um with that i'm just going to say thank you very much for listening Take the documentary and take what I've said on their merits. And the most important thing is to have open-minded dialogue. And um, if you believe that there is information from this podcast that you'd like to share with others, it's very, very important that you do so. Because it doesn't cost anything to have conversations. To quote uh, something that Julian Charles and I came up with in 2014, changing the discourse. And um, Julian since came up with the phrase, nuancing the discourse. So... um, I think discourse is very important. And that's it. I'm going to sign off now. Thanks again. And I will see you very soon for another edition of Life and Life Only. So take care and uh, goodbye.